You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and with 4th of July right around the corner, I'm sure you're making plans, maybe with family and friends, for a weekend of celebration, maybe some fireworks, barbecue, a whole lot of red, white, and blue. You also may be reflecting on the values and ideals that make this, this nation great. It can be hard to relax and appreciate it when you have financial worries on the horizon. You know, according to a recent study, over half of people 55 to 65 years old are planning on putting off their retirement date to a later date because they're, they're concerned about financial challenges. We've had a lot of economic uncertainty with inflation, bank failures, tech industry pressures. It's understandable if you're concerned about the level of freedom you can realistically achieve in retirement. So, you know, I I want to enjoy this weekend. I want you to enjoy the 4th of July weekend. I don't want you to worry about finances. So that's why today we'll be discussing how to plan for achieving financial freedom in retirement even amongst the adverse factors we face today. We'll talk about the very, very important transition of going from saving money throughout your working life to spending money as you withdraw and spend money from your life savings and no longer have earned income. We'll talk about understanding the price of your summer in retirement and how to plan for that appropriately and understanding its inflation. And I went back to shortly after our independence. So we went back to the to the 1770s and looked at what was going on with inflation shortly after our nation's founding and what can we learn from that and apply to today. So hopefully I'll answer some of your most common retirement questions and talk about some potential solutions that can help you take control of your life. So let's talk about the transition from saving to spending money in retirement. And this is fundamentally one of the most important things for you to understand. Is And, and this is why it's so critically important. And you hear me say often on this show that the plan that gets you to retirement is not the plan that will get you through retirement. So... It's critically important to understand, and the reason that that you cross a very distinctive line the day that you retire is because you no longer have earned income. And so in order to generate income, you've now, and oftentimes, your life savings has to generate that income. So up until now, you've been in a savings phase of life, and now you're going to be in a withdrawal or spending phase. And those are two completely different challenges. 
And that's why I say the plan for retirement usually has to be quite different. Because, it, you know, we don't retire on an asset. We retire on income. So you've got to be able to take your life savings and you've got to transition it into providing stability of income. You know, in retirement, most people live on a fairly fixed income. Not as free spending, maybe, as your later uh, peak working years. So it's critically important to understand this because when you're withdrawing money from your life savings, it puts a completely different set of pressures and stresses on the nest egg. And, you know, if, if you have a big hit to your money in the early years, especially in those first five to seven years, it can be devastating because you no longer have a hit to your money, but you're also withdrawing and spending money. Now, there are ways to put retirement plans together to largely mitigate the impact of a big decline of your money in the early years. Part of that is how you take risk in the market. Part of that is how you design income, structure income. Part of that is making sure health care costs are covered. You know, what are the different things that could threaten your life savings? And in those early years, it's critically important to, to not have a big hit like that. But when transitioning from wealth accumulation to income generation, it's important to keep track of what retirement accounts you have and when and how they will pay distributions. Now, you may have contributed to your 401k all these years. Employer match contributions would have helped your earnings grow. But now it's time to turn those savings into income. But all that income coming out of your traditional retirement account, all of it, if not most of it, is fully taxable. And then, of course, once you get to 73 or 75 years old, depending on when you were born, you have to start taking taxable distributions. Now, you could have made contributions to an IRA, which would be taxed the same way typically as your retirement accounts at work. Now, you can also do Roth, which provides tax-free income in retirement. And while there's an income restriction on Roth IRA contributions, there is no income limitation on Roth 401k contributions, and there's no income limitation on Roth conversion. And so those are real big opportunities. So, you know, having your retirement accounts in order is so important in understanding the tax ramifications. And in the last segment today, I'm going to really dive into what I call tax diversification. You know, where are taxes going to be in the future? We know taxes are going up in two and a half years because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires at the end of 2025. So they're going up. The question is, will they go up more in the next five or ten years with the challenges we have with our budget deficits and our federal debt and our unfunded liabilities for Medicare, Social Security, and prescription drugs? But bottom line is, a lot of the retirement income you generate is going to be taxable more than likely. Uh, now, there are some things you can do late in the process to maybe get more money into Roth, but if you're in your peak earning years, that's not often the wisest choice. Because in your peak earning years, you know, if your income is going to drop substantially in retirement, we want those tax deductions now while your taxable income is really high because even if tax rates go up, your taxable income is going down enough that 
that you really want those tax deductions now. Now, if you have a pension from a current or previous employer, typically pensions today, while there are fewer and further between, they usually provide a lot of options of how you get the money out of the pension. And because we're an area of the country that has a lot of government, either employees or contractors, you know, certainly all the DOE stuff out in Oak Ridge, um, some of the, uh, you got KUB, you've got, there, there's several employers in this area uh, that, that offer pensions still. If you work for Knox County Schools, you usually have a pension. Usually there are options with the pension. And, of course, the standard option that's always been there with pensions is you can take a guaranteed income for life. Now, when you take a guaranteed income for life, they factor that payout based on current interest rates. The higher interest rates are today, the lower the buyout option is going to be. The buyout option is when they offer you a lump sum. So you have to be very careful about this decision on a pension. You know, one of the disadvantages of a lifetime guarantee of income is you don't have any control of the money. You know, you can't be taking that income and after five years say, you know what, I don't want this anymore. Let me take the cash. Let me take the payout. You can't do that. Once you start that lifetime income, it's lifetime income. And then when you're gone, now you might select a survivor benefit from your spouse. But even if you do that, if, when you and your spouse pass away, there's nothing left. So, you know, if you're getting a 6% income stream, so if it's a million-dollar pension and you're getting $60,000 a year from it, uh, that doesn't mean you're making 6% on your money because over the remaining life expectancy, that principle is being drawn down to zero. But as I said, when interest rates are higher, the lump sum option goes down. And so you should be very careful in what you choose. You know, there's there are a lot of benefits to guaranteed income for life. You have what's called mortality credits. You know, if you basically if you live longer than a normal life expectancy, you get a tremendous return on that money. But you know in retirement it's it's not as much about get it back, you know, it's not but let me ask it this way. You know, would you rather be rich or would you rather know that you're never going to be poor? I've never had somebody say they'd be rather be rich than know that they'll never be poor. And so retirement is oftentimes about risk mitigation. What's the risk you run out of income or you don't have enough income? You know, we have inflation risk. We have risk of big market downturns. We've got medical risks. People are living longer and longer lives. There's all kind of risks. So it's about mitigating those risks. What if you do live a long time? What if you don't live a long time? You know, usually taking the lump sum on a pension typically will provide you with more control and the potential of leaving a greater inheritance behind, but it provides you with less security and ultimately less flexibility. The bottom line is all of these are very, very important decisions. Then there's your Social Security election. What is the best time to draw Social Security? 
And yes, I'm a big fan of the higher income spouse delaying that benefit at least to full retirement age and maybe even to age 70. There are other factors involved. What about spousal benefit? What about considering the widow or considering the widow or widower benefit down the line? So that's a very, very important decision. And, and what's good for you, you know, may not be what was good for your neighbor or your colleague at work or your sibling. What they did that was best for them may be the worst thing you could do. And as a rule, people don't maximize their Social Security income appropriately. Um, now, sometimes I meet with people and they say, you know, my goal here is to get the most out of Social Security. But most, when we sit down and really have a conversation, would say the goal here is to do risk mitigation. Make sure that you never have a financial issue, a big problem in your life financially. Now, we know there's never certainties and guarantees in life, but to give yourself the greatest likelihood that you never, ever have any kind of a financial issue, regardless of the different risks you may face. What if one spouse significantly survives the other? You know, that's a risk, depending on how income is structured. So, you know, we, we, I teach about all of these things in the classes I do at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. My next class is in late August. It's a one-night class on income planning specifically, just two hours on how to draw income in retirement. We hit a lot of these topics. And then I've got in September, I'll be at UT. That, that August one is in Pellissippi. Then September, I'm at UT with my two-part class, Financial Survival for Retirement. You can get our full list of classes. Uh, I have a general class that's a two-part class, and then I've got the income planning class, and I've got a tax planning class. Both of those are just one-night, two-hour shots. Go to broganfinancial.com and click on Classes, and you can see write-ups on all of those classes. You can also click to register directly with the University of Tennessee or with Pellissippi State Community College. Now, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about understanding the price of your summer in retirement. Summer should be some of the greatest months, in my opinion, so how can you budget for that properly in your retirement plan, even if you are on a fixed income? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, and we're talking on this 4th of July weekend. I hope you're going to have a very blessed weekend with your family and your loved ones and celebrate the red, white, and blue it's always a great time to think about those that have served our country and were either either gave the ultimate sacrifice, they gave their lives, or they were willing to. And so, you know, anytime we have patriotic holidays, I always want to remember those that have served and those that are serving in military 
because ultimately they either have paid the ultimate price or are willing to to preserve our freedoms. Summer is a great time to experience the best that, that retirement has to offer. You know, when the weather is warmer, people on their summer breaks, there are just so many activities and plans that you can make to enjoy the best of life. Ultimately, the goal of retirement planning is to set yourself up to have the kind of amazing summers you want without making costly mistakes. And that's why it's crucial you have a couple of key questions answered before you make those summer retirement plans. When it comes to making spending plans, it's crucial to know what your time horizon for retirement is because that will inform how careful you should be when carving out funds. You know, the longer you need your retirement funds to last, the more careful you need to be that you don't draw out too much in the shorter term. You know, somebody who's 65 years old should not be drawing 5% per year off their life savings for the rest of their life. Uh, that'd be too, that, that would just be dangerous that you could eventually run out of money. Now, if you're 83, a 5% withdrawal rate, not a bad thing, probably. So understanding how long your life expectancy is likely to be but then always don't don't make assumptions there. People are living longer and longer lives. What if you live into your 90s? Kind of pretty likely happening more and more. Octogenarians are the fastest growing segment of our demographics, people turning 100 years or older. So we need to worry about what things are going to cost when we're 89 or 93. And make sure we la our money lasts us. And so if you're nearing retirement or you're in the early years, you, you want to be careful you don't draw too heavily on your funds in those early years and when you're transferring into retirement. And, you know, one bad scenario is you have to push your original retirement date back because you drew too much from your savings. So a couple of things I'll just mention on this topic. Um, obviously, you need to know how much you're spending before you retire. You need to have kind of an idea. Um, the biggest thing, though, about having a financial plan and understanding specifically how you're going to structure income and provide for that income, the number one the thing that that provides, or one of the top things, is it gives you confidence to spend money in retirement. I can't tell you how often I have people come into my office and they sit down with me and they're nervous about retirement or they're already retired and they're nervous about how much they can spend. And the reality is when you have a good financial plan in place, it gives you more confidence to be able to spend money in retirement. If you, especially if you understand how the financial plan was put together and how you're going to generate income. What happens if markets are bad? Are you still going to be able to generate the retirement income you need? And if you draw that retirement income, are, are, is it going to be catastrophic for you later on? You know, you have a plan that you understand how the plan works. And ideally that plan, you understand it and it should work in bad markets. We have bad markets. It's a reality of life. 
But you know what? We also have good markets. And the number one way to beat inflation long term historically has been the stock market. Okay, now that doesn't mean you just have all your money in the stock market. That's a mistake, too. That's probably too much risk. I guess I should say that's probably a mistake for you. You need more diversification, usually. Uh, but the bottom line is the market is a great way to beat inflation long term. The problem with the market, of course, is it's completely unpredictable in the short term. But the biggest thing or one of the biggest things your retirement income plan and financial plan does for you is give you the freedom and the confidence to spend money in retirement. I have found that so many people, it's like they're looking over their shoulder. They're retired, they're drawing income, they're worried are they going to run out. So they're kind of looking back over their shoulder constantly. Did I make a mistake? With a good plan that's built on a lot of research and understanding of how money works, you don't have to have that fear. So that's one of the greatest things about a comprehensive financial plan that includes income planning, social security election, tax planning, estate planning, of course the investment side. So it gives you a north star that you can follow and be confident. And then you're not looking over your shoulder. So planning for it allows you to spend the way you want to. Now, the other thing I'll mention, one thing I'm seeing more and more is people, they retire, they partially retire. You know, maybe they, they go to part-time work. They might, they might start consulting on a part-time basis. And I will tell you that this usually has a, in often times, has a substantial impact on the security of your financial plan. Now, these things can all be projected. You know, we can sit down. You, you ought to be able to sit down and see for yourself. If I work part-time for two years versus retire full-time, what's the impact on my financial plan? How much more secure? If we, when we project income out to the future and we la allow for risks, market risks, inflation risks, all those things, how does working even one extra year part-time make an impact. So I'm seeing that more and more with my clients. I'm seeing more and more people, they take a part-time consulting job or they quit what they're doing and they do something else part-time that they enjoy. Um, there's a quality of life issue there that really helps with the transition into retirement. Um, that, that transition mentally and emotionally is a huge thing. You know, you're losing a lot of your social fabric, a lot of your social foundation and interaction when you retire and leave work. So the transition from an emotional and mental perspective can often be so much healthier if you're working part-time, either as a consultant or just doing something you enjoy. And then this, the, the extra benefit is the financial impact is usually dramatic. Now, I will tell you, I've got lots of clients, they don't need to do that financially, but they do do it for the quality of life to help with that transition where they don't go from all work to no work and they keep more social contacts. So a lot of these things are important in your plan. How do you structure the income? How can you have confidence in that plan? Do you, should you take some part-time work, do something you enjoy, 
do some consulting work, but then ultimately understanding how does that impact the numbers? How does that impact your likelihood success? How does that help you mitigate risks to income in retirement? You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan this morning on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And when when we come back, I'm going to talk about understanding inflation throughout its history in America. I went back to the 1770s, shortly after our founding, our nation's founding, and found some rather interesting things about inflation. What, What was different? And then more importantly, what can we learn from it? So stay with us. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. And you're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. Check out our podcasts, whatever your favorite podcast app. Type in More Living with Jim Brogan. You can also download all of our stuff or, or podcast it right there on our website at broganfinancial.com. Click on radio. We have our shows podcast on there as well as our dollars and cents segments, uh, which is a four to five minute segment I do, I do in weeks where we're not talking about money, you know, when we have our many, many wonderful guests on. And I also have my Retirement Minutes podcast on there, which is a good, quick retirement minute that airs on this station every week. So check us out, broganfinancial.com. Click on radio or go to your favorite podcast app. You can you can register to listen to our podcasts, More Living with Jim Brogan. As July 4th approaches on Tuesday, you might be looking forward to reflecting on all this great nation offers us and all the important moments throughout history that have made this nation so great. Let's look at how the nation changed from a financial lens and how it first started out and how did how was inflation a part of the lives of those back in the 1770s and then how is it a part of our lives today? How's it changed? How's it the same maybe? So it's interesting. Let's look at the data. Our country was founded, the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th of 1776, and of course we went to war. Inflation would soar as high as 30% in 1778. Now then inflation would drop to minus 19% three years later, 1781, meaning there was deflation of 19%. There are many situational factors that may have influenced those moves back in the 1770s, but ultimately the country was young and was largely decentralized. Heck, the official U.S. dollar we have today wasn't even instituted until 1792. Prior to 1792, there was a continental currency, but that didn't last. Early colonists used English, French, Dutch, or Spanish currency to facilitate the economy depending on the American region that they were in. 
And in addition, many local institutions actually circumvented the law that prohibited states from issuing their own currencies by offering banknotes. And this caused financial disorganization. It caused a lot of counterfeiting, all of which affected the money supply and how goods and services are priced. You know, if there's a whole lot more money out there, some of it's fake money that drives down the value of money. It leads to inflation. Things will cost a good bit more. And because there were, was no centralized system, Many factors could influence the price of things, and there wasn't a good mechanism of correction, which further destabilizes confidence in the financial stability of the nation. You know, there were no financial buttresses or systems, or if there were any, they were weak and they were in their early infancy. But they weren't there to help ease the effects of things like supply shortages, state and institutional overspending, labor and job market changes, among other factors. And these factors could severely influence the value of any currency in the subsequent inflation. These systems would have been especially helpful at a time when the U.S. was vulnerable to recolonization and military defeat from the likes of the French and the Spanish and the Portuguese, and yeah, even the English. So what are the key differences between then and now, I mean, we had we, we, we haven't had 30% inflation. Now, shortly after World War II, we had 20% inflation. There are probably more similarities today with the post-World War II economy than any other time in history if we try to look at what's happened when our economy shut down due to COVID-19 and now we're rebooting, you know. The, when, when the war was over, the economy had to completely reboot. So we had runaway inflation in the late 40s. So, you know, obviously we're a very centralized monetary system now. We have the Federal Reserve. We have our, we have our currency. It's the world's currency, at least for now. You know, we have banking regulation, tremendous amounts of financial regulation. So we're very centralized. Yet we still had inflation spike almost to 9% last year. So obviously there are some critical differences. There are also some similarities. Uh, first, let's talk about what causes inflation. Inflation is, in its simplest form, is an imbalance in supply and demand. If we go back to our business courses in college, supply and demand. You know, if I'm a store and I have a large inventory of products, let's say I've got 30 widgets. Normally, I only carry 10 or 12 widgets in my inventory, and now I've got 30 widgets. I want to clear those off my shelves. I've got too much in stock. I've already paid for them. I need consumers to pay me for that so that I can refresh my inventory and, and, and get more profit. But they're not selling, so I have to lower the price on those items. I might do a sale. I might do discounts. Whatever I do, I want to incentivize people to buy that stuff, and usually that means lowering prices or providing some other kind of incentives. So that is the opposite of inflation, right? Now, if I don't have many widgets, I'm having a hard time getting those widgets in stock. I have a short supply. And I got customers coming in every day looking for widgets. Well, when I get a widget in, I can mark the price up. 
I can make it more expensive because if you don't buy it, the next guy walking through the door will. So when demand far exceeds supply, we, we lead, it has the potential to lead to inflation. So it is ultimately a supply and demand imbalance. Now, in addition, certainly the monetary supply, the money supply, can obviously affect inflation. You know, it would stand to reason if the government prints double the amount of money and puts it into circulation, then it has the potential to make that money worth less because there's twice as much of it out there. However, what is often overlooked in that is what is happening with that money that's in circulation. How fast is it cycling through the economy and being spent? It's called the velocity of money. You know, usually when the money supply increases, the velocity of money goes way down. It's an inverse correlation. Meaning, increasing money supply does not add automatically cause inflation. I would still say the number one thing is an imbalance in supply and demand. And so coming out of the pandemic, we are still rebooting, rebooting our supply chain issues. Now, if you think back, remember, if you got a new car a year ago, year and a half ago, most dealerships were charging over sticker price for that car. So when you go back to my example of the widgets, why did they do that? Because they couldn't get many cars in. And when they got new cars in, they could jack up the price because they would find somebody that would pay that price. And they were selling less cars, so they would say they needed it to, to, to maintain their profit because their margins, they needed to increase their margins because the volume of sales was going down. Same thing with the used car. Same thing with groceries. Supply was down, demand was up. We got all this money that's been printed and put into circulation by the Federal Reserve. We have all this stimulus from Washington, D.C. People have been flush with cash. People want to spend some money, and there hasn't been much supply. So it's led to runaway, to, to, well, I wouldn't say runaway inflation, but it's, it's led to some bad inflation. Now, we're also highly centralized now with our Federal Reserve and with our currency and with our banking system. So it's very centralized. However, there are limits to what that system can do in terms of controlling inflation, and I think we know that loud and clear now. Okay? Uh, just this past week, Chairman, uh, Chairman of the Federal Reserve, Chairman pa Jerome Powell, was in Europe with the with World Banking Conference. He kind of said, I don't know what's going on. We do not know really what's going on, was the gist of what he said. Because they've been aggressively hiking interest rates and the economy is not slowing down very much. Now, why is that? And supply is better. Well, see, when things cost more, what's happened is because the job market, unemployment is so low, em employers have had to pay their employees more to keep up with inflation and keep those good employees because if they didn't pay them more, they would leave and go to another company that would pay them more. So wage inflation was offsetting the impact of inflation. Everything was costing more, but everybody's making more money. We are starting to see wage inflation slow down. But the bottom line is banking, central, Federal Reserve, other central banks around the world, especially in developed countries, 
have not seen inflation come down the way that they thought it would with the increases in interest rates. So there are market dynamics at force that can affect this, and there's sometimes a limited control by the Federal Reserve and other banking systems. Now, in many ways, institutions like the Federal Reserve, I could argue that a lot of our easy money policies, both from the Federal Reserve and from Washington, D.C., since the Great Recession, so coming out of 2007, 08, and early 09, we had such easy money policy for most of the next 15 years with both Federal Reserve printing money and Congress supplying stimulus that in, in, in many ways led to a lot of this inflationary problem. Uh, but the pandemic didn't, you know, obviously was a huge factor because you turn everything off. You can't just turn a switch and turn it back on again. And the supply chain was, it was, it was broken. So we got a lot of factors. We certainly are, it's not the type of issues that we faced in the 1770s after our nation's independence. But inflation is still a fact of life. The main thing I want to leave you with is, you know, everybody's worried about inflation right now. Three or four years ago, nobody seemed to worry worried about inflation because for 14 or 15 years after the Great Recession, inflation was one and a half to two percent. But even at two percent, inflation is a silent killer of retirement income. Even at two percent. Uh, now, inflation for the last 12 months is now 4%. The Fed wants to get it back to 2%. I think it's going to be tough for them to get that there in the next year or so. I think it's going to be real tough. At 25 or 3%, or even if they get it back to 2%, I think it's very important not to underestimate the eroding power of inflation on retirement income. And a lot of times we don't take it as seriously because it's not the same thing as losing a lot of money in the stock market in a three or four or eight or nine month period. So it doesn't have that big short term effect. But the reality is the inflationary risk over time is dramatic. And in many cases, may be the number one risk you face when you retire in your 60s. And so it's critical to have, in the long term, growth of income to fight inflation. Now, in the meantime, you need stability of income in the short term because stock markets are completely unpredictable, but that's where your financial plan comes in and how you develop your income plan. This is exactly what I talk about in my class at Pellissippi State on income planning. It's in late August. You can go to broganfinancial.com, click on classes, and find our full schedule. But that is a two-hour class, one night, at Pellissippi State Hardin Valley, where I'm going to talk about specifically how to structure your income plan to where you have stability in the short term, regardless of stock market conditions, but you have growth of income in the long term to fight inflation because that growth of income in the long term is as important as anything in your financial plan. We're going to get to our final break. When we come back, I do want to touch on tax diversification. We're in a low tax environment today, historically. They are going up in two and a half years, income taxes. And I think there's a risk, a congressional risk, that they go up substantially more, or an economic risk, because of the realities of our federal debt and deficit spending. 
what is tax diversification and how do you need to be using that to solve, to try to help solve the uncertainties of our income tax system? Stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, and it's 4th of July weekend, and we're kind of talking about our nation's history to a degree. We're talking about some of the challenges we're facing economically. We're talking about inflation. If you've missed some of today's show, catch us on our podcast. You can go to broganfinancial.com and click on radio. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. And thank you so much for tuning in and letting us be a part of your 4th of July weekend. I do want to end today talking about tax diversification as we're talking about some of the the inherent parts of a comprehensive financial plan. And tax diversification simply means, what is tax diversification? It means you have, when you, you know, before you're retired, you have multiple ways you're saving money and how that benefits you in your income taxes now versus how that may benefit you with your income taxes later in life. And then when you're in retirement and you're structuring retirement income, where are the various ways, what are the various ways you can generate retirement income and what is the taxation of that retirement income and having multiple sources from a tax perspective. You know, so many of our clients and so many of the people I meet with in my office have saved so much of their money in retirement. Off, it's tax-free when you pull it out, but there's no tax benefit when you put the money in. And often in your later working years, you're, you've got your highest earnings years. You want to get the tax break with your highest earnings. It's one of the greatest things. Congress has given us in the Internal Revenue Code, being able to take care, take advantage of the preferential tax treatment of long-term capital gains. Ingredient to your success. How do you plan Roth versus traditional? Now, especially for you younger folks, you folks in your 40s and 30s and even in your 20s, you know, how do you fund a Roth versus a traditional? Can you fund a traditional 401k where it then allows you to put more money in a Roth, where normally you might not could even do a Roth on an IRA? Does your employer offer a Roth 401k option where there is no income limitation? 
How do you balance your contribution with the fact that the employer contribution is The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.